George said that sometimes we're allowed to be salty. Salty Jesus is my favorite Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What happened to the nice Sunday school version of Jesus that we all like? Love God, love neighbors as yourselves, treat others as you wish to be treated, make the world a better place, bring candy to church on Sundays, all that. Those are the kind of slogans of our faith. So what are we going to do about this Jesus? Who says it's better for us to show for the kingdom of God with one eye and one leg and one hand than to have our whole selves and be thrown into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. I mean, last week, last week I, I got to talk about how Jesus says if you want to go to heaven, you have to enter it like a child. And now Jesus is talking about hellfire and damnation. I don't know about you, but we don't talk a lot about hell, not in the Methodist church. I've been a Methodist all my life. I can't think of a single Sunday sermon I heard about hell. This church has been here 100 years. Maybe there have been 30 sermons on hell, just like there have been 30 preachers. I don't know. But we don't talk about hell. It's not a very appropriate thing to talk about, about well, you know, around well-meaning Methodists on a Sunday morning. It's not a very uplifting subject. And yet, Jesus has some salty words for us today. The disciples bring to him a complaint. Excuse us, JC, but we just met someone on the road and he was doing work in your name and we tried to stop him. Honestly, we tried because he wasn't part of the crew. We're concerned, Lord. Who knows what kind of crazy things people are going to do in your name? There has to be some kind of standard for what we call the church. Who knows, Jesus? Maybe one day there will be these people called televangelists and they'll fly around the world in their private jet planes. Who knows? Maybe in the future, Lord, there might be grocery store churches that, that tell people as long as you pray hard enough, you'll be healthy and wealthy and all of your dreams will come true. I don't know. Jesus, we might wind up with churches with big columns and 1,400 pipe organs. I don't know. We've got to have standards. Jesus says, let them be. If someone does something good in my name, pretty soon they're going to be on our side if they aren't already. The kingdom is bigger than your feeble little brains. There are spots at the heavenly banquet for people you would never dare invite. Remember, this party isn't yours. It's mine. And I like crowded tables. Now, it would have been nice if Mark had just left it there. This would be nice. And the word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God. That, no, but Jesus keeps going. Listen, he says. Whenever you try to prevent others from doing things in my name, you're putting stumbling blocks in their way. And to be fair, you can stop people all you want. But it would be better for you if you put your feet in a cement bucket and throw yourselves into the Roanoke River. I'm just going to tell you that right now. But while you're at it, if you want to go ahead and do that, if, if anything else causes you to sin, if it's your eye, your hand, your foot, I don't really care, go ahead. Cut it off. It is better to be part of the kingdom maimed than it is to burn. This is not the meek and the mild and the smiling Jesus that we usually have displayed around our homes and churches. This is not like the Jesus in the stained glass window who's kind of like, hey, look what I did for you. This, this is not the same Jesus. He cranks it up to 11. He paints this terrifying picture for the disciples. People being drowned by concrete, followers removing body parts as they enter the kingdom. Perhaps Jesus is troubled, knowing that he will have followers who will mistakenly lead others astray. Maybe, 
With the cross growing clearer on the horizon, Jesus is tired. Tired of his disciples moving to and fro with every gust of wind, and he wants to shock them and, and stop them in their tracks. Perhaps, perhaps Jesus believes that some will think his gospel is just one of many things we can pick up and leave behind like a bad habit, when instead it is a matter of life and death and heaven and hell. Now, to be fair to Scripture, Jesus actually doesn't call it hell. He uses an Aramaic word for a place, a place called Gehenna. It's an actual place just on the outskirts of the walls of Jerusalem. Now, today, we, we hear the word hell, and immediately we conjure in our minds some version of Dante's Inferno, or we, we picture a bad, low-budget B-movie with someone dressed in red with a bifurcated tail and a trident, for some reason, in his hand. But Jesus says, Gehenna. Now, long before Jesus arrived on the scene, Gehenna was a place of pagan idolatry. Child sacrifices used to happen in Gehenna. So much so that by the time Jesus shows up, by the time he addresses his disciples about entering the kingdom, Gehenna was the town dump. It's where everyone brought their garbage. And it was on fire. Just like a lot of dumps in the U.S. used to be on fire because you keep adding things and keep catching on fire and they just keep burning forever and ever and ever. So Jesus says, it would be better for us to pluck out our own eyes to stop others from doing their thing than to go and have our bodies thrown into Gehenna, into the dump. Now, to me, it's rather odd how, how many things haven't changed over the last 2,000 years. We are still a throwaway society, whether it's our literal garbage or the people we treat like garbage. If something doesn't fit into our view of the world, we are happy to cast it away without ever having to think about it again. We still remove unsightly things and we put them in places we call dumps. We lay our trash on the curb and we are content for someone else to come take it away. And take it where? Well, it doesn't matter. As long as it's gone, as long as I don't have to worry about it. We're fine with people being hauled off to prison. We never have to think about how horrible their conditions are. We don't have to think about how more people get COVID in prison than any other place on the planet. We perpetuate systems in which poor people keep getting poor and rich people keep getting richer and poor people are forced to do horrible things in order to try to make their way up the ladder. We're fine with Border Patrol agents attacking those on the border from the top of their horses because we don't have to worry about that. We're not on the border. We're in Virginia. We don't have problems like that here. It's Gehenna. It's hell on earth. And Jesus says that no child of God's good creation and love is meant for hell, is meant for Gehenna. He says, it would be better for you to give up the things you so dearly care about, even your eyes and your hands and your feet, than to make life hell for other people. And one of the great challenges for us, the church today, is to rid ourselves of this fallacy that we are somehow better than other people. And that's what the disciples are struggling with. They say, Lord, they're doing stuff in your name, but they're not like us. We're the good ones, they're the bad ones. We're the saints, they're the sinners. But in the kingdom of heaven, it is populated entirely and only by forgiven sinners. 
only by forgiven sinners. Now, that doesn't mean that we can just go along merrily and do whatever we want, whenever we want to, whomever we want. It doesn't work like that because sin has consequences here and now. Our sins do make life like hell for other people, but our sins are no match for the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. These are harsh words. But I think Jesus uses harsh words because the world is a harsh place. It can even be a hellish place. Fyodor Dostoevsky says that hell is the suffering of being unable to love. I like that definition. When we are unable to love, even our enemies, we create hell on earth for ourselves and for other people. You know, this week, we surpassed the number of deaths that happened during the 1918 and 1919 Spanish flu pandemic. More more Americans have died from COVID-19 than did 100 years ago. With all of the advancements in medical technology we've had over 100 years, more people have died now. Why? Why? We can blame it on a lot of things. Spread of misinformation. We can blame it on lack of leadership. We can blame it on all kinds of things. I think it's because we cannot love each other. Because we've made hell on earth for ourselves and for other people. It's because we've failed to love each other. Hell is the suffering of being unable to love. In each of your pews, there's a hymnal. Love the hymnal. It's a great, great resource that we often forget about. Inside of that hymnal at the very back is a thing called the Apostles' Creed, which in about four minutes, we're all going to say together. Apostles' Creed. Christians have been saying the Apostles' Creed for 2,000 years. It is this great, short little text that helps to, to keep our theology together. Some of you might even have it memorized. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Toward the end of the creed, there is a very, very, very important line. We say that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose again. But for centuries, like up until 1960, we used to say something different. We said Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and he descended into hell. Jesus was constantly descending into hell. Not just when he died in those three days between cross and resurrection, but throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus entered places that we avoid. He encountered the people we turn away from. He went to the margins. He went to the dump. He went to Gehenna. He went to hell again and again and again. That's the story of the gospel. That God, the author of the cosmos, comes to be with us and goes to the worst places imaginable. Jesus goes to hell and back for us. There is always more that we can do. There's always more effort we can make. If we commit ourselves, we really can make things change. That's true. There are people who are living in hell on earth, and we can do something about it. The church has always been a place that's called to go to hell. To do whatever it can to salvage people's lives, to literally rescue people, to remind them that they are precious, that they have worth and value no matter what the world tells them, that they are not meant for the hells of life. We can make change. But sometimes when it comes to us, when it comes to ourselves as individuals, there's no amount of work 
perfect morality, ethical observance, even self-mutilation. You can get rid of both your eyes and both your hands and both your feet, and you're still not going to be able to save yourself. We all do things we know we shouldn't do. We all avoid doing things we know we should. We need someone to do something for us. That's why the work of Christ, what we call grace in the church, is amazing. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we can deserve. Grace is done to us. It's that person who shows up in your life when you don't deserve a single thing, and they say, I'm here for you. That's what Jesus does for us. Because all of us, no matter how well we might appear to have it on the surface, we're all sinners in need of grace. That's why these words are so good and so terrifying, because they convict us and they remind us that God is good alone. It's a mirror. This passage, it functions as a mirror. We cannot help but look at ourselves and see how far left we really have to go. And that's when grace shows up. Grace is what happens when no matter how hard we've tried, no matter how many things we've cut off from our life, we see that we're really not very good at the end of the day, and God's still for us. That people in the church continue to love us even though we don't deserve it. God comes down into the muck and into the mire of our life, right smack dab in the middle of our sins, and says, I love you. Christ died for us while we were sinners. Not before we were sinners, not after we were sinners, but right in the worst thing we've ever done. Jesus says, I love you. you know, later... Once all the people who heard these words from Jesus had abandoned him, and he was nailed, left alone, hanging on a cross high above Calvary, he could see in the distance, had he looked, he could have seen Gehenna. He could have seen the town dump of Jerusalem still burning as a fire. Jesus' deepest experience of hell was right on the cross. Now, that's why we put crosses up in our homes, in our sanctuaries. Not because there's some symbol of the far distant past, but because it's a sign of death. A sign of suffering, a sign of pain. Jesus died. God chose to come be with us, and we nailed God to a tree. So let us never, ever forget that if we want to meet Jesus, we can always find him in hell. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever.